Car wires, vacuum, and clean interior. Full detail is also available. While you wait on your vehicle, Christmas scene is available as well as the dining area. They open Tuesday to Saturday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So make sure you stop by. Today's episode is also sponsored by Big Ben's Desserts. If you need to satisfy your sweet tooth, this is the place for you. They have a wide variety of desserts, including cakes, ice cream, banana pudding, and my personal favorite, the Oreo cheesecake. They open Tuesday to Saturday from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. and Sunday from 12 p.m. to 7 p.m. Stop by and visit Big Ben's Desserts on 297 Spartanburg Highway in Lyman, South Carolina, where nothing could be sweet. Today we have another special episode of the Cross the Line podcast as, as a self-investment tour uh, here in New Jersey. My very first time here. Um, we have another entrepreneur, the founder of On Call Title Services, Miss Aisha Anderson. How are you? I'm fine. First time on camera, I told you this was going to be a piece of cake, so... I don't want you to feel nervous. Um, you're on, it's going to be pretty straightforward. But I, I love to do this because it gives people a chance to, you know, learn who you are, actually, um, and get a chance to, you know, because there's so many people that want to build a business, they don't know how to. And I feel like, you know, people that look like us, it's a chance for them to learn. And just people in general to um, get a chance to learn about entrepreneurs and, and be able to find you and support your business. So I'm so happy you had the time to come sit with me for a, a conversation. So it won't be bad. So trust me, I, I got you on this. Okay. So starting out, can you tell people where you're originally from? Newark, New Jersey. Newark, New Jersey. And how do you, and for people that know you, um, how would you say they would describe you when they hear your name? Honestly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, aggressive, direct, um, I don't know. I, I want to say aggressive and like really just direct. I feel like probably in this area, you mm-hmm. know, like I was saying, I always heard people up north for kind of like, in a sense, rude and stuff like that. But I guess in this area, you have to be kind of like aggressive and like direct with people. Would you say this? Um, yeah, because I've, I've lived in the south as well. So it's a big difference. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like, so if you go to the south, you have to get used to people saying, good morning, how are you? And then you come up here, up north, and you're saying good morning to people, and they're looking at you like, why are you talking to me? Yeah. Like, like, what do you, I don't know you. So it's a, it's a different, yeah, it's I, totally different. So the lady the other day, when we talk, were talking to her, well, I had a phone conversation with her before I ever even, even met her, and I would say, uh, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. She was like, oh, that's so, so sweet, so sweet of you. I was like, man, they don't say that up north? Like, just the, no. I guess it's just like the uh, southern hospitality that we have, in a sense. <laughs> Yeah, I want to say yes, because I'll catch myself on the phone. Like, if I'm on the phone with another state, because we do all 50 states, I'll say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. But if I'm talking to somebody up north, it'll never come out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I hear that southern accent, I'll catch myself saying yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am right. on the phone. Yeah. So. so so where did you live when you were in the south? Like? Oh, with Greenville, South with Carolina. Greenville, South Carolina. How, how mm-hmm. long did you stay there? We went every summer, and oh, okay. I, I was there in I'm going to say 6th and 7th grade. I actually went to school there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, for you growing up, what was, like, your childhood? Like, I know you, you lived there for a couple of years, and then for the most part, you were up here. Um, what would you say your childhood was like growing up? Um, I don't know. You asked me and my sister, we thought we was rich. You asked mm-hmm. my mother, she'll say she struggled, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I think we had a pretty decent childhood. It wasn't too bad. It wasn't like, you know, we were starving or anything. But like any other kid, we go outside, clean the house on Sunday, Saturday mornings, you wash clothes, you go outside, you play all day, you play double dutch, you know? Mm-hmm. And how many, um, how many siblings total did you have? One. Okay. Yes. So growing up, 
Um, what kind of things would you say influenced you? Was it sports or was it uh, fashion, entrepreneurship, hip hop? Like what? As kind far of as what entrepreneurship? Is it didn't come until I got older, so it wasn't a growing up thing. That didn't come until I um I started working at I was working on the turnpike. I was there for fifteen years, and um then I was working inside of a dealership, and um I started out as the filing clerk. And in dealerships, you always start at the bottom. Either you're the receptionist or more likely you're the receptionist. But I came in as a file clerk just to help them out and clean up because they had a really big audit. Um, and what inspired it was the title clerk went on vacation to her country. And um, they, she kept asking to train me to do her job. And they were a little hesitant, but then when they did, I did so well, I ended up taking her job. And they switched her into another position. And I just was like, you know what? I don't think that that's right, you know? So I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to start out a company because originally my company traveled. So I said, I'm going to start a company where I travel from dealership to dealership for people that, you know, title clerks because it's a, it's a desk that never goes, you can never leave the desk. It always has to be up and running. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm just going to cover for girls that want to go on vacation on maternity leave, really maternity leave. Um, because you can or go out on sick leave because once you got on sick leave they usually take the receptionist and they throw them on your desk and you don't come back to a job or something just happens in the midst of it you know mm -hmm. so that's how I originally started out I traveled from place to place so that's what made me want to be an entrepreneur just because I just didn't think it was right that I kind of took her job from her did you come from family entrepreneurs or did you see anybody else growing up that that was an entrepreneur Entrepreneur. All right, I'm going to give him his props right now. I never give my boyfriend his props, <laughs> ever give him his props. But it was more so him. So um, I always talked about, you know how you talk about something, but, you know, more women are usually scary. You know, men will jump out there, especially with being an entrepreneur. You have to, like, jump out there and just go for it, you know. If, if it's your time, it's your time. You have to just do mm -hmm. it, you know. Sometimes you can't even think about it. You have to just, just do just it, do it yep. you know. Um, and I was very hesitant and he was talking to his neighbor and he was like promoting my business and I felt bad. I'm like, damn, he's promoting me and I don't even promote myself. I don't put myself out there. So that's what made me really go full throttle with it because I felt like how is he, you know, putting, putting me out there and making me look a certain way and I'm not even, I'm not even doing it, mm -hmm. you know, so. What made you? Just thinking about what you said, how your boyfriend pushed your business. Like, what made you um, kind of hesitant to, you know, promote your own business in a sense? Um, it's more so just, just change. Being scared of change, you know? Mm -hmm. And my business isn't a very, it's not a very um, welcoming business. You know, even when I first started. When I first started, I actually went to, like, the big dealerships, like, to Jeep, to um, Mercedes, and... I don't want to name the actual dealership, so I'm just going to give the, the, the wow. make of the vehicles. Mm -hmm. So um, I would go to them and hand my business cards out, you know, and tell them what I did. But you would never get past the receptionist desk. She's like mm -hmm. the guard dog. What do you need? What do you want? Yeah, okay, I'll give, I'll give, give the person your business card. But you would never get past that desk, right. you know. Um, so I, I think that was what made me a little bit hesitant of it. And because of what I – because we deal with titles um, – a lot of people, if they don't know you, if they haven't heard about you, if you weren't referred to them, you're, you won't even be welcomed into their company. Mm -hmm. Was that a little bit discouraging for you um, in the sense where uh, you get to the, to the desk and the assistant just uh, takes your car, your information, and uh, that's pretty much it? Is that 
Was it ever discouraging for you? Um, it was discouraging, but it was understanding because I was already in a business. So right. I already knew what it took. You know, mm -hmm. it was just a matter of me getting past the door, you know, getting past her. But um, I linked up with someone else in the industry um, that's a big company, and they kind of referred me to these bigger dealerships. Mm -hmm. So anytime the bigger dealerships, so how I got into the bigger dealerships were, let's say a dealership is in need or they, they're desperate. Right? Mm -hmm. So let's say you're desperate and you just, you're, you're backed up on all your paperwork and you really need help. So that's how I kind of got into it. I would get into the bigger dealerships because they would then contact this big company and this big company would say, hey, we know a girl. And then that's how, you know, I got into most of the big companies, you know. Who, who would you say were kind of like your mentors that kind of helped guide you on your journey as far as like um, early childhood and, and entrepreneurship? Like who would you say were, do you have a mentor that kind of like helped guide you? Here you go, making me go back to this guy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, he's going to watch this. Um, here you go, making me go back to him. I would say it's him. I would, I would say it's my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's big on entrepreneurship. He's, that's, he, when I met him, that's what he was doing already. Mm -hmm. So it's more so like, uh, okay, he's doing it. He believes in me. I believe in him. And it, it, it's, once you get a taste of it, it's no going back. Right. That's what I can tell you. Once you get a taste of being an entrepreneur, there's no going back. I want to say that I might be one of the first people in my family that is an entrepreneur. Mm. Um, as far as my immediate family, my mother's my kids and her her siblings' kids, I want to say that I'm one of the first ones. Hopefully, we'll have more after me. But how how was that? Was there ever like a conversation, you know, with your family? Because it's it's a little bit different because you know, you, I get I would assume your parents. Your family, they worked a traditional nine to five, and then you step out and become an entrepreneur. Did they understand what you were doing at the time? No one knew. Mm. I started this business in 2014. No one actually, I don't, I don't want to say they didn't think I was real. I want to say because I didn't have a brick and mortar, they didn't understand what right. I was doing. So this brick and mortar has been here three years now. So this will be three years come January. So no one really understood it. And a lot of them still might not understand it until they come in and help. Mm -hmm. So once they come in and help, it's like, oh, wow. Like, this is, this is the real deal. Like, you know, so they get feel it like, now. now. Now you feel like you have that support behind you because they can see it and something that they can actually visualize and come into. So it's like, do you feel like you have more support now? Oh, um, absolutely. As, mm -hmm. Absolutely. How do you feel, like, going back to the 9 to 5, um, how did it make you feel, you know, I always tell people I'm thankful to have a nine to five that can kind of help fund my business. But how did it make you feel, you know, working for somebody else? And I mean, at the end of the day, it's not yours. You're helping build somebody else's dream at the same time. But how did it make you feel, you know, at times, you know, working a nine to five? Well, I didn't work nine to five. I didn't have a conventional nine to five job. Okay. I worked, I would work on the weekends because I had a, uh, I was a single parent, so okay. I had one child at the time. So, um, I mean, I love, don't get me wrong, I loved my job. The job that I had, mm -hmm. I loved it, but because I worked every weekend and I would do 32 hours in two days just to make sure Ooh. we were good during the week and I was able to be home with her and focus on her, um, I always go with my heart. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm one of those people that go with your heart and go with your gut. So if, if my heart is telling me it's time to go, it's time to go. 
So we were driving one day and I asked my, my then, I want to say she probably was like 11. You know, do you want mommy to be home on the weekends? And she said, yeah. And I went, I went to the first toll booth and turned my badge in and said, I won't be returning. Mm, and I just went for it. It kind of was like going to lead into my next question. Because I always feel like everybody's going to have a moment where it's like, you know it's time to make that move and, and finally take that leap of faith, whatever it is. Um, it's never going to be a perfect time. But what would you say was like officially that moment where you knew that it was, it was time to jump? And yeah, it was, it, was, it was hard. It mm -hmm. was more so like, do you want mommy to be home? You know, and I was doing both. So I still had the... I had the, the turnpike job, which was kind of like a full-time but part-time job. And then I was working, like I said, as a filing clerk at the dealership. But I was still I was still starting my business, you know. So I might have had one and a half clients, you know. Right. So when she told me, yeah, Mommy, you know, I want you home on the weekends, I knew it was time. And then from there, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I might have had like six or seven dealerships right behind it. So everything in life happens for a reason, you know. And at that point in my life, that's when it was time, and it was it was meant to happen at that at that moment. What would you say were like the skills that you learned from previous jobs to kind of like help transition over to you know becoming that uh, full time entrepreneur that you are? It's not previous jobs. It's this. It's 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 the it's the job itself that I do now for mm -hmm. people. Um, everything's a learning lesson. So when when something happens at one place, I never take it to the next place. I always make it better. So if something happens that just didn't go right or it wasn't correct, I just, now I know for the next situation how to, how to make it better, you know? Mm -hmm. So I take it I take it day to day, you know? Um, it, it wasn't really what I originally did in life or when I was younger or any of the jobs I've ever had really had nothing to do with what I, I do now besides the one job when I was a filing clerk and I went into being their title clerk and that wasn't even long. I want to say... I did this job, I, I was a title clerk in an actual dealership for about maybe two and a half, three years before I wanted to start my own business. Mm -hmm. So on talk, on call title services, um, can you talk a little bit about some of the, um, for people who may not know, like what are some of the services that you provide for your, uh, for your clients? We provide services in all 50 states. So basically we're like a motor carrier slash tag and title company um, here in New Jersey, which there is none but me right now, just for right now. Um, we we just provide services, so you know we're like a we're like a service of convenience. I like to tell people. I like to. I don't want to say I like to market a certain type of clientele, because I love the people off the street because they need help and they don't understand a lot mm -hmm. of things. But I love my businesses and I love my mortgage companies because I have a, a variety of clientele. Right. So I don't want to just limit to say, oh, we only do one type of thing because I can't even I can't even say that we deal with anything that can mo that's mobilized. We deal with we do mm -hmm. all fifty states. We do titles for cars, boats. We recently started doing a lot of mobile homes because mobile homes are big in New Jersey now, mm -hmm. um, and and they're titled by motor vehicle here in the state of New Jersey. Um, we, we do open small businesses for some people. So if you come in and you ask me and you tell me, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur, I will get you your EIN, your corp code, and your do your formation for the state of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So if you come in, I'm all for it. I love seeing it. I have a girl now, every time I drive past her office down the street, all I can do is smile and be so happy for her because when she came in, she was so nervous. And I'm like, I got you. Don't worry right. about it. I got you. And now she's been open a year now. So I'm, I'm super, super, so proud of her when I see it.
I was looking at some of the reviews on your website, and a lot of people were saying, you know, they don't even deal with a dealership. I mean, like a DMV because it's uh, so much stuff they had to go through. Is it really that hard, like in this area, like trying to get things done, like through a DMV or anything for tit- for like titles or whatever? And I, I never knock DMV because they are my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not that it's hard. It's it's um it's not hard. It's more so like. So let's say you come into my office and you have a title issue, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to take your title and we're going to figure it out together and how to fix it. I'm a fixer. So that's what makes me different from DMV. Mm-hmm. But if you go to DMV, they're going to point and say, you need this, you need this, you need this. And they're going to give it back to you and they're going to send you on your merry way. Which someone that does not have any knowledge about motor vehicle, they're gonna, not going to know anything of what, what's being said. Right. You know, so that's how they end up to me, and I either walk them through it or I just fix the issue for them. Right, and mm-hmm. I was gonna say it's probably very beneficial for them. I'm not saying, not saying that you have to baby them, but kind of like walk them through the steps. You have to baby them. You have to baby them. Right words. But it's but it but it's good though, it's, especially because they know that you 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 care about them and you're gonna help them get get everything that they need. So that's probably very beneficial for them as well. Um, how long did you say you've actually been like officially in business? 2014, March of 2014 is when I started. And what was, do you remember like the, the very first moment, like how was those first few days of like opening up and officially having like your own business? I didn't do anything with that. I told you, I um, go back to this boyfriend of mine. <laughs> Came in the house one night and just handed me this credit card and was like, you need to start your business now. And I literally did, my formation and um, my EIN number at about 10 o'clock at night. Hmm. And I did it online um, myself. Did you have any kind of moments where you were you kind of like in doubt or kind of scared? Like, I don't know if it's going to work out or I'm I think so like that. you still like that. I'm so like that. I'm doing this like, oh, God, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still like that. I think that's a part of like learning, you know, and making your business better, you know. Absolutely. Um, as aggressive as I am, I'm 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 still like uh, kind of timid with certain things, but um, it's just it's just a learning experience, you know. Mm-hmm. It's always something that's gonna make your business better, mm-hmm. you know. It's always gonna be something that's gonna take you to the next level. Mm-hmm. What would you say for you is the the hardest part of, of being an entrepreneur? Finding workers at this at the COVID finding oh, workers. Yes. Yeah, that that's the hardest part right now. Mm-hmm. Find, finding someone. Workers and someone that actually, because um, in, in this, but what I do is either, it's no gray. So, you know how you got black, white, and then you got gray? There is no mm-hmm. gray area. It's either you get it or you don't get it, you know? Um, so, that's kind of hard for me as well, finding somebody that is like a sponge. I mm-hmm. need someone that takes in information like a sponge, you know? Right. Um, just to take a little bit of the workload off of me with, my, it's a trust in business. So, most of my customers call and say, hey. Where's Aisha? Even though you're on the phone, you're saying, can I help you? You know, where's Aisha? And then they'll ask me the simplest question, and I, I'm on the phone. Like, right. just breathe. <laughs> just give them this simple answer that, you know, someone else can answer it for them. But it, it's a customer-based business. Mm-hmm. So, When you when you look to, to build your team, what are some things that you look for in people to, you know, okay, I know I can trust this person, and they're going to help continue to help build this business and what are some things that you look for? Honestly, I have to give and take. I take strong points. So what you might be good at, the next person might not be good at. But if it's something that you're great at that I know the other person is weak at, I know that that makes a team. 
you know, so I don't expect everybody to have the same, to be, you know, similar in ways. Like, so if you're, if you're good at answering the phones, right, and you're very aggressive on the phones, I need that, you know, but if you're, if I have another girl that's great with the customer service walking in, I need that as well, right? you know? So I, I just try to I try to build a team where I take the good with the bad. Some people might not want to answer the phones, you know, mm-hmm. but as long as you do it, that's enough for me, you know, um, because we might have somebody else that's really good at manhandling the phones, you know. So it's it's not just one thing. It's it's all about who's good at what. I take the person for what they're good for, Absolutely. and I run with it. Absolutely. Do you have you embraced you know being uh, well people working for you? Um, now that their livelihoods are kind of dependent on your business, have you embraced that knowing that you have so much responsibility and these people are really dependent on your business to help um, provide for their families as well? Absolutely. That's where most of your stress comes from. Mm-hmm. As an entrepreneur, that's where most of your stress comes from, you know? And you want to make sure that they're able to live and you're able to be able to pay your overhead. You know, mm-hmm. you don't, you want, you don't want to be paying someone thousands of dollars a week, but you can't afford your overhead. And afford to live yourself, you know? Right. Um, because that's the misconception with entrepreneurs. You know, when people walk in the door because they see things or they think things, they think that you're making a million dollars. And most of the time, half of that million dollars is gone in overhead and the person. So it's it's crazy. Before I started um before I started this journey here in the office itself, all the overhead was mine. Everything was mine, so I never had overhead. Mm-hmm. So when I came into the actual office now I have overhead, I have taxes, I have payroll taxes, I have, you know, everything that comes with it. Um, and it's a, it's a different ball game. And sometimes I just, I respect the other person on the other, other end. Like, wow, you know, a lot of us don't realize it when we're coming in there and we're saying, hey, I want $18 an hour. I might pay you $18 an hour, but I'm paying for taxes for you as well. So I'm paying yeah. for your ta- your $18 an hour. On top of that, I might be paying another three or four hundred dollars in taxes just to have you here, you know. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't don't understand that aspect of it, but it's it's, it's yeah. they're learning. They see that's another reason I'm I'm happy you came on because you like you said like the overhead. There's so many of these things you know people don't understand because you know they don't own a business. They just come in and and they just um help just they do the work, but they don't understand like the behind the scenes stuff. That, that goes on but as far business wise how uh, are you are you very hands on or do you try to like delegate stuff to some of your employees for you Both. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a choice but to be hands on because I'm the end result right. and if a headache comes it's going to come my way yeah. um, so I delegate the work um, to who I know is good at what mm-hmm. right so if I know you're good at something hey do this you know um but I touch what everybody does as well. Right. So at the end of the day, I'm here at night and I'm touching to make sure that everything is, is done, you know, pretty pretty much in the right manner. Because like I said, unfortunately with what I do, once it, it's if you mess up, it has to be fixed. So that right. means double the work. We don't right. want double the work. We want, we want it to go nice and smooth the first time around where we're not going back to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, that's one of the things I kind of kind of battle with because I'm I'm hands on, which I, it's good to be hands on because at the end of the day, like you said, it's your name, it's your business, so I'm in control of you know booking interviews, booking flights, hotels, editing audio, editing video, and it's it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, so you have I'm to let some of that go. I'm trying. I try to, especially but like 
I want to make sure that when I do interviews, like the person, the interviewee, the person that I'm sitting with, I want to make sure they have good quality content. I don't want to just put anything out. So it's one of the things um, I'm still conscious of, mm -hmm. but I know it, it'll, it'll free up a lot of my time. Like if I'm not editing this or that, and I can just, you know, just work it on just the actual interview. But that's one of the things, um, probably one of my biggest struggles is as an entrepreneur is you're trying to like, let certain things go, which I know would make it easier for me if I if I if I learn to do that. Um, for you, what would you say is something uh, that you may still struggle with as an entrepreneur? I would say the same thing. The same thing, because in order for you to scale, you have to you have to be able to delegate tasks. You have to have employees. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the only way you can scale because you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. um, but again, this day and age is so hard to find employees. You know, so right. sometimes you end up doing it all by yourself. Yeah, it's it's rough, man. Like I was like, man, I, that's why sometimes I tell people, you know, I make I'm, I got your interviews, I got everything, I'm making sure everything is right before I put it out. I I just can't. For me, it's like I I know I can't just put out anything because at the end of the day, like I said, um, it's my name on it. Like I said, even even when I wrote the book, that was still like a two and a half, almost three year process before I even released my book. Um, but that was the first thing I really kind of delegated. Like I wrote the book. And then I found a publisher, and she took care of everything else for me. I sent her the script, everything that I wanted in the book, and I took the pictures for the cover art. But as far as, like, you know, setting it up so it can be sold online and everything else, like the editing, the format, I just pay her to do all of that stuff just to make it easier for myself. But as far as, like, the podcast and traveling, doing interviews, that's one of the things I still have to learn to, you know, delegate and, like, let some of that stuff go because this – Part of the reason, probably one of the reasons why I kind of like took a little break last year because I had so much on me that when I finally just finished my last uh, interview for my last tour last year, it's like I took a break for about a good almost five or six months. It was just because I was just so like wore out from just doing everything. But now I'm like, uh, I mean, I'm thankful for what I do. I love what I do. Just sometimes, like you say, as an entrepreneur, you, you have to learn to like let certain things go and let other people take care of it for you. It's called trial and error. Absolutely. You know, that's why you had to take a break. You had to step back and see what you can do differently to make your life easier. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's, it's not easy. N not harder. at all. When you're an entrepreneur, you work harder than you do when you go to 9 to 5 because that's, that's your 9 to 5 and you leave and it's gone. And that's it. And when you go home as an entrepreneur, you're still thinking about what's not done or what you need to do for the next day because yep. you need the next day to run smoothly. Mm -hmm. So. It's rough. Yeah, because it's, it's like no blueprint to anything. Like, you, when you have a 9 to 5, you know, clock in, they give you, like, a rundown of what you need to do and go to break, come back, all this type of stuff. So you have all that stuff playing out for you. But as an entrepreneur, it's like everything is on you. Everything, you're in control of everything. So if it doesn't get done, if you if you don't get the bills paid or whatever, everything is on you. And that's, it's like, the scariest part of it. But at the end of the day, for me, it's beneficial knowing that this is something – um, that I'm building, something that I want to pass down to my children. Not that they have to, you know, travel and do interviews, but as long as they get that exposure to see, like, what it's like as a as an entrepreneur or, like, if they want to go into the workforce, um, they get to see both sides of it for me. So that's that's important for me. For you, um, what's some things that you learned about yourself since becoming an entrepreneur? What are some things that you've learned? Oh, for me? Yeah. Oh, God. I have learned not to be so mouthy, so I'm not as... <laughs> I'm more understanding. I'm a little bit more patient. Um, I don't. I'm not as um, hot-tempered, so I don't just. I don't just react. 
I kind of try to pay attention before I react. Once I react, sometimes it isn't the best. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's better just to let things go and, and just say it is what it is, you know? We won't do that next time. We'll do something else differently. But um, I'm much more patient, you know, because it, we're in a, where we're at, it's predominantly um, Spanish ethnicity. Um, mm -hmm. We have Haitians in the area. And so I have to do small things for the community, like make copies, notary services. Um, I have a lot, it's school time. So I have a lot of the um, Spanish community that comes in now and asks me to write school letters for them. Mm. You know, and have whoever they live with notarize them. So that right there has taught me, like, and they're just grateful for that, you know? So patience is, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more patient mm -hmm. since I've physically been at this location. How did the, uh, just made me think about it, like, how did the, the pandemic in any way, like, affect your business? None. Oh, I None. was the bomb during the pandemic. Mm. Oh, God, I made great money. And we need to go back there so I can give me some more money. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I made great money. Motivate was closed here for like three months, four months. Mm -hmm. So it's it's okay. So for me, the pandemic was rough because I was pregnant during the pandemic. Um, and when Motivate opened back up, I was in the I might have been five months pregnant. So no one wanted to go to Motivate, and that's how I started taking the public because mm -hmm. I was a dealership girl. All I did was dealerships, and that's it. And then. I would have people come in here and throw their work. Like, you go to motor vehicle, I'll pay you. I don't want to go. And that's how my business went to another level. Mm -hmm. So originally it was dealership to dealership, to some dealerships mailed to me, to, okay, now I'm taking the public and doing New Jersey motor vehicle because we never offered it before. Mm -hmm. I never offered New Jersey motor vehicle before. And, yeah, the pandemic happened, and it just opened me up to a whole nother it was great. It's like a blessing yeah, in the it, sky. Yeah, it didn't affect me at all. all right. It was, yeah. It so was it kind of made you like the like a, a go-to person now yes, because it's, people are able to, you know, if they need something done, now they know they can come to you instead yep. of going it anywhere. It opened me up. Absolutely. For you, what are some key traits um, would you say people need to have um, to, to run a business? What are some things that they need to uh, possess as an entrepreneur? Hard work. Hard work. Always stay consistent in whatever it is that you're doing, you know. Um, everything is trial and error. You have to be very understanding of what might work today may not work next week, you know, or next year. Mm -hmm. um, and just pay attention to the business and how it's running. You know, really, really pay attention to your numbers. A lot of us don't pay attention to our numbers. Um, and this is me speaking for me needing to do it myself. Mm -hmm. Get an accountant. If you don't have one, get one. Um, and that's just for me doing it myself, and I need to get one myself. Um, but, um, yeah, get an accountant. Um, mm -hmm. if, and if you don't have an accountant, get QuickBooks. QuickBooks helps out a lot. Something Take a picture, it goes up. You know, keep, keep charging your finances so you can at least know if you're growing or if you're plateauing or if you're not even making money at all. You know, you need to know those things. And a lot of us... We see the money and we don't, we're not really paying attention to the fact that, hey, we're at a standstill. We're not making any money, you know? Mm -hmm. um, all our money is going out. So those those things are really, those things are very, very important. Mm -hmm. Just a few more questions and, and we'll get ready to wrap it up. What do you like to do to kind of like take your mind off of work and like decompress a little bit? I wish. There's got to be something that you I like to do. <laughs> Lately, my mind has been spinning about work. Um, mm -hmm. 
I would say maybe a spa day. Maybe a spa day. Yeah, that helps mm-hmm. out a lot. I haven't been lately because I've been thinking about work. But mm-hmm. spa, the spa helps. Does, does this business have like a particular like peak season where it's like busier yes. than most? Or? Yes. So I recently just changed my hours because when COVID happened, I didn't have a peak season. So I wasn't really able to see what was going on with the business. So now that I'm looking at numbers, numbers are important, like I said, um, I'm noticing that my peak season is, of course, always tax season. Tax season. So from January to June, I'm pretty busy. And in the summertime, we kind of plateau. We're, mm-hmm. we're at a standstill in the summertime. What we don't do is we, we double. We, like, triple the work between, I want to say, January to January, February, we're, we're, we're double the numbers. And then March and April, we triple the numbers. And then we go back to double, and then we just be at a normal a normal number, well, a low number from June to, like, September. Because everyone's mm-hmm. taking a kid, paying for their kids to go to school and stuff and traveling. Right. Um, speaking of your children, uh, what do you what do you kind of, like, want them to do? Do you want them to t- lean more towards entrepreneurship or, like, how, which way do you think you would want them to go? I want them to do whatever their heart wants them to do. Mm-hmm. Some people like nine to fives. Believe it or not, my sister she loves her nine to five. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I liked my nine to five before I became an entrepreneur. Right. You know, so sometimes you got to get a taste of you don't you don't know what you like until you try it. You know, so I would say go for whatever it is that you want to do. It's probably with my kids anyway. Right. So if if their heart takes them one way, and they they like it, then you go for it. If, if that's what your heart is telling you. But if it's not for you, then it's not yeah. for you. Yeah, I, it's not I, for everybody. Right. That's a, that's a fact. Like I I, I like to uh, say you know just like I said, it's about that exposure, just mm-hmm. being able to like see both sides. I remember my son. I asked him what he wanted to be uh, a few months ago, and he told me a YouTuber. So, but that's that's one of the things. Like growing up, we didn't even really have YouTube. They just as we got older, then YouTube came came about. But that's big right now. It is. That's man. what all the kids. Are. I'm shocked he didn't say a gamer. How old is he? He's eight. Yeah. So I mean, he he, he, he loves to play like Fortnite and stuff mm-hmm. like that, or Madden or 2K. But yeah, you can make. I never even thought you you would see the day where you can make money off of like YouTube or or video games. I remember when they were younger, when my kids were younger, they used to watch their kid on YouTube. Um, Ryan or something like that, and, and he's got he's making millions of dollars just off of YouTube. We got toys in Walmart, and I was like, man, I ain't never, I would never even thought we would see a day where like you can make that kind of living, you know, um, off of YouTube and doing those type of stuff. But yeah, it's it's big. It is. My my uh my final two questions for anybody that um wants to pursue their dreams, like what advice would you give to them? Go for it. Just go for it. Don't think, don't second guess yourself. Just, just, just go for it. I know that some people always say, you know, you have to have a business plan. You have to have this. You have to have that. And it's as much as you can, you can have all those things in place. But once you put your feet in, you know, sometimes you you drown. You mm-hmm. know, so you have to just go for it. Yeah, because I like when I, I tell people, I made a post the other day. You know, I was like, man, I, when I started, all I had was this laptop, recorded in the backyard, and then. I went from there to, you know, traveling across the country, um, California. I did an interview um, with the founder of Reebok. I went to, uh, well, back in June, I did an interview at the uh, at the Laugh Factory in, in L.A. Uh, that's one of the, like, 
one of the most profound like comedy clubs where so you see some of the legendary comedians and like man I from where I started to where I'm at now like you like you said you can plan all day long but until you actually like get out there in the field then you won't really know because what who's to say like you have this great business plan but then once you go out there and then it crashes then what do you have so you definitely have to get out there and just take a chance and just and bet on yourself because um you can plan you can read all the books you want watch interviews whatever it is but until you get out there you you won't really know what you can do definitely i agree it's another ball game once you're in it Mm -hmm. My, my last and final question um what i like to ask everybody um as part of the Cross the Line Self-Investment Tour, what does self-investment mean to you? Oh, good question. What does self-investment mean to me? I don't know, I would say invest in yourself. I, I, well, for me, I wanna, say, I wanna say invest in yourself and invest in the people around you. Like, I'm big on that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm big on investing in my family and the people around me, you know? So, invest in yourself. Yeah, invest in yourself and invest in the people around you, because the people around you are going to make you better. Believe it or not. Absolutely, yeah. you're gonna need you're gonna need you need them people. Yeah, mm-hmm. you need your community. Yeah. Oh, my, one other thing I wanted to ask you as well, like as a you know going to these different um, companies, as a as an African American woman, did you feel like you had a hard time or face any kind of like pushback to any degree? You know, building your business. Yes and no. And this is me. I might, I might regret saying this, but I'm, I'm very honest. So when you go into these big dealerships, mm-hmm. I am the minority. There's no one that looks like me in the back offices. You might have one or two. But when you go into a majority of these companies, I am the minority. I've, I never forget going into one. I was trying to teach a girl that they bought in. And I was told by the office manager that I was there to work and not speak. Mm. And um, again, patience. I learned to be very <laughs> patient. <laughs> this is where my patience or me learning how to be patient started, you know, and then it's, it's learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of blew my mind. But again, I was the minority, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like for I, even if you go and look, you look me up. You don't see my face, you know? I, mm-hmm. I just, I, you never see my face or anything, and it's it's kind of a pushback. It is, you know, to think, like, okay, who owns the company or who does this? People don't, I never put out there what I do. I just, I'll, I'll say I'm management before I say mm-hmm. anything, you know? But, but how come, to a sense, I know, I know all, all of that, the, the negative stereotypes and all that type of things that um, we have against us, but, but like, why not? Um, why are you so hesitant, you know, just putting your face out there? Because I think it's um, really important for people to see somebody that looks like us and somebody like, okay, well, she's she's done and she's a woman of color. She looks like us. So if she can do it, then I know we can. So why are you kind of like, you feel like you may be hesitant, like putting your name and your face out there? Um, I don't know. It's a good question. This might be my first time putting my face out there on this this channel. Um, I think more so because of the type of clientele I have. And I don't necessarily want to put me as the face of my company. I want what I do to be my face, like how I help people or how good I am or my reviews. As you said, you look at reviews, mm-hmm. you know. You didn't look at reviews and none of my reviews says, oh, it says my name. I don't, I don't want people to know of my company just to say, oh, 
that's Aisha's. You know, I want it mm-hmm. to be like, no, that's on call title services. So if I ever go to sell it, I'm not selling me. Mm-hmm. I'm selling the company. You mm-hmm. know, um, I don't want to sell me. So that's I guess that's why I never really put myself out there because when I want to when I want to go to sell my company. I want to sell the company and the brand. I don't want to sell the founder or the person that owns it, mm-hmm. you know, because I can't go with it when it's old. Mm-hmm. But I look at the business that you have, though, is people are going to, you know, I think it'll say more about the person. If, if, if As long as they need your service, then they, they should come. But if they if they don't come to your business just because of, like, the color of your skin or who you are, then I feel like that says more about them than as, as opposed to you. I think they should still come regardless whether they, if they need your type of service. But... I mean, I I know it's it's out there. It's work. tricky. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's tricky. It's tricky. It's tricky because I deal with a lot of like a lot of your per- personal business. Mm-hmm. See, you're from where? North Carolina. South Carolina. South Carolina. In South Carolina, for you to register your car, you don't need a social security number. Mm-hmm. But in New Jersey, you do. Mm-hmm. I don't even so say. It's and it, yeah, it's different. You know, I need a lot of your personal information. Um, for me to generate a number in the state of New Jersey, for you to get an ID, you have to give me your passport your social security card, a copy of a birth certificate. You have to give me a lot of stuff. So people people are funny, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I just, I would prefer for you not to, when you call in and I say, thank you for calling on call title services, you don't necessarily need to know that, hey, that girl owns the business. Right. Now, if you talk to me enough, you'll know. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll answer your questions if you ask me, mm-hmm. but I don't need, I don't need you to, per se know that when you originally call or for me to brand it all over the place hey this is the owner of long call title services mm-hmm. you know um if i was to brand my business in a way i probably would brand array of ethnicities because that what that's what comes through my door i have arabic i have jewish i have african-american descent i have haitian i have ecuadorian i have a different a range of clientele so i just i don't like to Per se, hey, this is a black-owned business, and you know that's what I'm gearing my business to, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the clientele that I only want, you know. Absolutely. So yeah, I remember, you know, for me, you know, working in the media, I remember um, when I was covering Hornets my senior year, um, the the gentleman that gave me my opportunity um, was Coach Cox, and he was a uh, he was a um, white man, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. But I remember, you know, when you go to these games, you know, they if you walk in, they check your bags and anything, and then they give you like this media credential. And uh, you know, some of the people that work in the media, like when you when you head up to your seat, they would just like let them walk through. But then like somebody that looks like one of us, like they'll make sure like we have a credential, make sure they know like we we're sitting with, like where we're supposed to. So it's kind of like that at times, like that double standard is is like they just automatically just let them pass through, no questions asked. But then some of us, they make sure like. We're really supposed to be there because it's it's a different field in the media. Um, it, it goes all the way around, as you know, the the portrayal of like um, black athletes as opposed to white athletes and journalism, everything. But um, for me, I mean, well, doing what I'm doing, people are gonna see my face regardless. Mm-hmm. But I just think for me, it's like I want people to see somebody like that looks like me um, coming from. I'm from I'm from a very very small town, uh, Jonesville. My town only has three lights in it. But I'm I'm always I always want three lights. Yeah, we have Traffic three. Lights? Tra- that's it. Three <laughs> lights and, and three lights. Four four if you include the light over by uh belt distribution center. Uh, so we got 
So I'm gonna give us four in total. We got four lights, but it's a very small town. My uh my high school before we, they combined us was seventh through twelfth grade, and we had five hundred kids in the whole school. Seventh through twelfth grade. So by the time you got to seventh grade, you were up there with with the high schools. And then wow. my uh ninth grade year was my last year there, and then they combined us with Union. Um, so I finished high school there, but we were uh, very small. Um, but I love my hometown, man. It's, it's, it's very small, but uh, now that our school is not there anymore, it's kind of hard for us to kind of, like, sustain because there's really no reason to, like, really pass through there now because we don't have our school and those right. events. Yeah, like the high school events, like on Friday night football or basketball, they help kind of, like, keep the community going. Um, my best friend, one of my best friends, he um, I, I did the live read earlier, the car wash that I that mm-hmm. read about earlier. He owns the car wash. Yeah, he owns he owns the oh, car good wash. For him. Yeah, so um, good for him. Yeah, That's good. but yeah, I'm, I'm happy that he did it. Like in our hometown, I love um, to see that. Now yeah. that I, now as much as I don't promote that, oh, I'm a black owned woman business. Um, but I love to see it. I, I love to see us doing our thing. Like I am all for it. I'm all for it. Like Absolutely. it's 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 it's, it's rewarding, you it know. Is. And I'm always big on, you know, supporting black businesses cuz I know a lot of times one of my pet peeves um that what people do is they have a, a negative experience, especially one of our own people like they have a negative experience at one of our businesses. I, I hate when they go out and put us on blast online. It's like, okay, I understand it might not be a great experience the first time, but sometimes you got to give us grace and give us a chance, you mm-hmm. know, make those corrections. Because when you have these experiences like at any other establishment, you don't go out there and put them on blast like you would do us. On what? I'm good on, I'm, I love reviews and I haven't had any bad ones. Right. <laughs> Again, patience. I just I just mute and say, okay, you know, let's fix this, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm very aggressive, like I said in the beginning. Like, So if something's messed up, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to say, hey, you know, listen, we can both yell and scream on the phone all day. How are we going to fix it? At the yeah. end result, it needs to be fixed. So how do we resolve this issue? If we can't resolve this issue, then we need to move on. You know? Absolutely. So I'm very direct when it comes to that. But again, that came with experience. Experience. Yeah. Man, mm-hmm. when I first started, man, my interviews were just janky. Like I, <laughs> I I didn't know what I was doing. Like I didn't I, I everything that I ever recorded, I still left online. And I remember graduating from Upstate, I went up there and I sat in the uh in the, in the school library, and I just recorded myself. Um, I recorded in the backyard, I recorded upstate, and then it was just like me. I didn't know how to edit my audio or anything, so when I messed up, I just left everything on there. But I said, you know what, I'm gonna leave it on there so people can listen to it. And that's where you started at. Yeah, see where I started at. It's mm-hmm. like, man, I came a, I came a long way, but my stuff was just Absolutely. all I didn't even have a camera at first, though, so the only mm-hmm. thing I did was just, I just had From your audio. Phone? No, I just no. It was just straight audio at okay. first, and then I um. You grew. Then I grew. Then I um had a couple guys help me. I paid them to to record my videos for me, and then I was like, started figuring it out. One one of my guys he moved to Atlanta, so I was like, dang, now I don't really have a choice but to figure out how to edit. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a blessing in disguise because it, it taught me I needed to you know learn something else as far as like editing my you my video footage sound like me with alexa alexa translates in spanish for me my cousin laughs at me because when <laughs> <laughs> my spanish clientele comes in i'm like alexa translate in spanish <laughs> and it's, you're looking at me like 
Alexa, yeah, Alexa translates for us. We're gonna talk. We're gonna have a whole conversation. Yep, but it helps. Main thing is you get the job done. <laughs> yeah, get the job that's, done. That's, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Getting the job done. I did. Uh, I worked at a radio station at uh, in Greenville. They paid me ten dollars an hour, um, and it. Uh, so I drove an hour to work just for ten dollars an hour. So, uh, but it was an experience. You were, it was you were an experience. experience. Yeah, I was just looking mm-hmm. for the for the opportunity. The first time I went up there, they. Um, like you said, you get your, your, um, your, your business card. Your, I, well, I gave my resume. I didn't have a business card. At the time. I gave my resume cause I was maybe like a year or two out of college mm-hmm. and, uh, give it to the receptionist at the desk and you don't really hear much. I call back up there. They say they, they going to keep an eye on it. And then they they know they send me an email saying they found somebody else. So then I went back to upstate, learned some, some behind the scenes production from um, my friend Trey, who taught me some stuff about, you know, working in TV. Then a year later, I went back again to that same radio station, and they finally kind of, uh, they gave me a job then. So I stayed there for about six or seven months, paid me $10 an hour. When I got that check from them, either I was, I broke even or I was in the hole. Most of the time, I was in the hole. Um, but it taught me how to edit audio. So I would edit like a three, four-hour radio show. I could edit all that in like 20 minutes. But when I first started, it took me like an hour or two hours just to edit audio. But they taught me how to do that. So now... I took that skill set from that business, um, from the radio station, and applied it to here. So um, it was a blessing in disguise, too, because now I know how to edit audio. I can edit video, which it is a little bit time-consuming because I have so much stuff on myself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like Do it in the middle of the night. It's still a lot, though. It takes a... <laughs> man, if it... Like, the audio part is easy, but as far as, like, the videos, like, when you try to make sure everything is uh, on point, man, it's, it's a little time-consuming. It takes... Because I had to... I really go back and sit and watch like the entire interview again, mm-hmm. and I just try to make sure I had the right edits and everything. So I want to have you out here looking crazy on camera either. So listen, because I'm gonna be like, <laughs> let me see that video because I don't know what yeah. is missing. Yeah, I'm gonna make sure I, I got you right. So Aisha, I want to thank you again for taking the time to sit down, and have a conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, before we get out of here, can you tell everybody how to find you, um, find your business? We are on Instagram at On Call Title Services. Um, we can be reached online at www.oncalltitleservices.com. We're also on Google, of course. You can Google us where we come up number one in New Jersey. Thank God. Um, and um, we can be reached at 908-271-6668. I'm at extension one or two. It doesn't matter. And if we need you in South Carolina, we can hit you up as well, right? Yes, we do South Carolina dealerships. I have about four of them. Okay, okay. Yeah, we do all 50 states. So. Well, that's good to know. Well, thank you again. I appreciate your time. And hopefully everybody enjoyed this episode of the Cross the Line Podcast, Self-Investment Tour. Till next time, keep chasing your dreams. Thank you for listening.